Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. This morning during our combined Sunday school, we talked about one place to serve, one soul to reach. But for your own personal walk this morning, what if we ask the question, one step to take? If you were to take one step in your Christian life that were to change everything else, would you want to know what that is? We ended 2023 with the time of prayer as a church. I think it's fitting here on Vision Sunday, as we look in Colossians chapter 1, we begin this new year with a prayer, specifically a prayer that Paul gives to the Colossian church. What's one step that you could take in your Christian walk? Well, let me ask this question. How do you live a life that pleases God? I'm sure that if you're a Christian, that's something you want to do. You want to please God? Of course. Perhaps you have some confusion as to how to accomplish it, or perhaps you feel like it's an unattainable goal. I can't. Today, Paul is giving us a refreshing and hopeful message about the key to living a life that pleases God, or as we'll see in our text this morning, a way that we can walk worthy of the Lord. We've been just starting this book of Colossians. We've heard about the background. We've heard about the, the false teaching that was threatening them as a church family. Last week, we saw how Paul was thanking God for how God, the gospel had reached the Colossian believers and how it was bearing fruit and increasing, and he was seeing in their lives faith, hope, and love as genuine fruit of their conversion. And now, as we continue in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, he's going to shift from thanksgiving to a prayer request. He's going to ask God for something. And while we read multiple verses, verses 9 through 14, there is actually only one core request, one thing that he prays for that will change everything else. And again, as we look at this Vision Sunday, at what God has for us for, as a church, may we look at this passage and see what does God have for me this new year, and how can I walk worthy of the Lord? Let's read together Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. We'll read down through verse 14. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would guide us in your word. That as we look at Paul's prayer, it would be our prayer as well. It's our desire, Lord, both as a church and individually as believers, to walk worthy. But Lord, we know that's something that we cannot do in ourselves. We need your grace. So I pray you guide us in our time this morning as we look in your word, that we would submit to it and be changed by it. In your sins, name we pray. Amen. Amen. What does it mean to walk worthy? We see that in verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord. What does that mean to walk worthy? 
In the previous verses, as I said, Paul had been praising God for calling the Colossians to faith in Christ, that they had received the Lord Jesus Christ. They had been called unto himself. And to walk worthy of the Lord is, a, is to live your life in such a way that is consistent with the gospel that you have received. In other words, your life reflects your salvation. Many scholars point to the book of Ephesians as a sister passage to Colossians. You see many of the same themes written in both of those books. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we see a similar theme to what we read in Colossians chapter 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In our verse today, we see this idea rephrased. He says, I will walk may, I, that you would walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, which means fully pleasing to him, that to walk worthy of God is to please God. Is this not your desire as a Christian? I hope it is. That you've embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you've received the good news of salvation, I hope it's your heartfelt desire, your prayer request, that your life would reflect the gospel, that you would walk worthy. Jesus one day will look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I hope you want to please the Lord with your life. That should be our greatest desire here on this Vision Sunday and every day, that we should walk worthy. But how do we? In fact, if you read these verses, verses 9 through 14, his prayer request is not that they walk worthy. Did you know that? That's not his main prayer request. I mentioned that there's only one main request and everything else is, in subject, is, is kind of subordinate to it, that it modifies this one request. But his one request is not that they walk worthy. It's something else. And as we read in this passage, we see, first of all, that the knowledge of God's will produces a worthy walk. We see in verse 10 that he, the desire of Paul is that these Christians will walk worthy. He wants them to please the Lord with their lives, but his actual prayer request is found in verse 9. Look at it. From the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that what? You may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What's Paul's prayer request for the Colossians? That they would be filled with the knowledge of, will, of his will so that they can walk worthy of the Lord. What's this saying? A knowledge of God's will is what produces a worthy walk. And so, if you want to please the Lord with your life this morning, the answer is simple. Learn His will. Everything else will follow. Knowing His will transforms your Christian life. Knowing His will guides you into all truth. This new year, 2024, I want you to know God's will. But what's our response to that? Well, if only I could, right? If only I knew his plan for me, well, then of course I would please him with my life. That's the frustrating thing, isn't it? I, I, I want to know God's will. If this is the one thing that will produce a worthy walk, how am I supposed to know God's will? I've been praying for that constantly. God, show me your will. Show me your will. Show me your will. Are we holding out an unattainable goal here? To know the will of God. You actually begin to see why the message of the false teaching in Colossians was kind of attractive. They were offering to these Christians a hidden knowledge. A knowledge that you can attain through visions, through asceticism. You want to know God's will? I'll give it to you. Jump through these hoops and you can attain it. You can have it for yourself. And if walking worthy depends on knowing the will of God, we need to ask very two important questions. What is his will, and how do I know it? 
Would you like to know God's will for you in 2024? I'm guessing you probably do. So what is God's will? Specifically, what is God's will that he's talking about in this passage? Because sometimes we can take a category, God's will, and apply it in the broadest sense without considering what it's meaning in the passage. What comes to your mind when you think of God's will for you? Well, what will I do with my life? Who will I marry someday? Where will I live? What will happen to my job? What's God's plan for my health struggle? That's what we think of when we talk about God's will, right? We want to know like, the, the, the next chapter in our book, what God has planned for us. But when Paul prays that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will, is he talking about that type of knowledge? He is not. If you were to ask God about those things, he would say that while those things are important and impact your life, And while he does have a will concerning those things, he's not going to tell you. You do not know what your life will look like this year. You do not know where you will live, what will happen to your job, what will happen to your health. In addition, a knowledge of those things is not what produces a worthy walk. Sometimes we tell ourselves that. If only I knew the answers to these big questions pertaining to my life and where I'm going to be and what, God, what his plan for me is, then I would be able to really live a life of obedience to him. And in a sense, we kind of wait until God reveals those things somehow to us before we can live a life of obedience. But Paul tells us here, that's not the type of will that we're talking about. We like to blame our lack of obedience on circumstances or lack of knowledge about what future circumstances will be. That if we only knew what God is doing, we'd have the ability to live for Him. And that's just not true. The hidden things belong to the Lord. And yet there is a knowledge of His will that does produce a godly life that pleases Him. And it's something different than what normally comes to our mind. And so, let's investigate for a little bit. Can we do that? Let's, where do we see similar themes and wordings in both the immediate context of our passage and the broader context of your passage? And as you study scripture for yourself, and you're seeking to define a generic or perhaps confusing word, sometimes examining the context provides definition. And so we're going to do that this morning. We see God's will. What is that? Well, let's see if the Bible itself defines what we're talking about. We'll begin with our immediate context in our passage today. We see a knowledge of his will But down in verse 10, we see something else, that we are bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And this is talking about increasing in something. So you have something, you have a knowledge of something, and you increase in something. Paul is defining the knowledge of his will as a knowledge of God here. To reinforce that idea, turn over to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, in verse 2, As we consider our passage in Colossians chapter 1, we see some theme, we see some key words. We see, a sh- we see knowledge, we see wisdom, we see understanding. And we see these same key words in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I believe here Paul is defining the knowledge of his will as the knowledge of God's mystery. And then he names that mystery. The mystery is Christ, in whom are hidden all the fullness of wisdom and knowledge. 
You say, oh, how can we be sure that when we read God's will in Colossians chapter 1, that we're talking about a knowledge of God, namely a knowledge of his mystery, namely a knowledge of Christ? Well, let's go over to the book of Ephesians. I said this is a sister book to Colossians and see if we can safely make this statement that the knowledge of his mystery is the same thing as the knowledge of his will in this context. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. We read this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things in earth. Again, same key phrases, wisdom, insight, knowledge, understanding. And his goal is to make known to us the mystery of his will. There you see mystery and will right next to each other. What is his will? It is his mystery. And what is his mystery? What he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of times. One more passage in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. He prays here that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. What are we called to know? What is his prayer request for us to know? The hope that we have, the inheritance that we have, the power that we have, in Christ. And so back in our passage of Colossians chapter 1, when Paul asks that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, he is asking that we be filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. That is his will. That is his mystery. It is Christ. It's the will of God as revealed through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's a knowledge of God's plan of salvation as we see it in Jesus. Is there a broader will, sovereign will, his plan for us? Absolutely. That's not the type of will that he's talking about in our passage. Our spiritual growth is not dependent on knowing the full plan of God for our lives. But our walking worthy is dependent on us fully knowing the gospel that we have. And Paul's prayer for the Colossians is that become filled with the knowledge of the gospel. He wants them to have a spiritual understanding of their salvation, the purpose of their salvation, and the ultimate hope and security of their salvation. This is the most important thing, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's the prayer request. Well, how do I know it? How do we know this will? Again, they're faced, the Colossian believers are faced with a heretical teaching claiming a hidden knowledge that only some can attain. But Paul does not hide, hold out this knowledge of his will like a carrot at the end of a stick. As we look at this book, we discover an incredible truth that you already possess it, now be filled with it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's already made known. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk 
in him. We read elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Now we have received this, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. These things are freely given. In verse 9, our passage tells us that we may be filled with the knowledge of this will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the source of this wisdom and understanding. And through grace, through the gospel, the Holy Spirit has been given to us Already, we have been given salvation through Jesus Christ. And now, through the Holy Spirit, we can fully understand what has been given to us. And so, in a phrase, Paul is telling the Colossians, fully know what you already have. If you have Jesus, in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, if you have the Holy Spirit who helps us understand what we have in Jesus, and if you have the revealed Word of God which we, in which we discover the plan of God, His mind, and His purpose for us, then be filled with it. Do not stop at a simple academic knowledge. Do not simply leave it at the day of your conversion. We, are, we all want to walk worthy of the Lord. We all want to please Him. Seeking to please Him by looking for extra loops to jump through will only produce a life motivated by slavish obligation and empty devotion. But seeking to please Him by fully knowing and loving the gospel of Jesus, by being filled with the knowledge of His will, which is Christ in you, will produce a life motivated by an affection for Jesus. And when you realize that you already have been given it, then you realize you need nothing else. This is why Paul's main request is not that they walk worthy. His main request is that you be filled with the knowledge of his will so that you may walk worthy. The knowledge produces the results. I fear that sometimes we as Christians don't fully know what we have in the gospel. We haven't taken the time to explore it, to examine it, to enjoy it. In his short booklet, A Gospel Primer, Milton Vincent shares his own testimony of exploring the gospel. He describes himself as someone who is raised in Christianity, baptized at five years old, baptized again at 15. He went to Bible college, seminary, served as a pastor, in all that time, he struggled with his view of God. He says this, The God I believed in was frequently angered with me. When I would come into his presence to make right some wrong, his arms were tightly folded, his eyes were slow to meet mine. I imagined an angry look on his face, and it was always up to me to figure out some way to mollify him. I figured that if I just beat myself up sufficiently in his presence, or plead with him long enough, or just waited a few hours to put a little distance between me and my sin that he might warm up to me again. He continues, I operated this way through college, through seminary, and even through the first decade of my ministry as a pastor. All the while, I hung on to my faith because I knew something better was available. I just didn't know how to get it. And so he continues in his story, his testimony, that later in life, he, went, he decided to go back to the gospel. He revisited the truths that he already had. And as he explored it, he realized how transformative it was. He says this, Indeed, I had always believed I was justified, but I guess I treated my justification as some sort of legal fiction that had little direct bearing on the mechanics 
of how God related to me and how I related to him. I suppose I would have imagined God saying, yeah, technically you're justified, but I'm angry with you anyway for what you did today. But I now realize that this is that, that absolutely 100% of the wrath I deserved for my sins was truly spent on Jesus. And there is none of God's anger left over for me to bear, even when I fail God as a Christian. Hence, God now has only love, compassion, and deepest affection for me. He does see my sin, and he is grieved by my sin. But his gracious favor upon me remains utterly unchanged by my sin. He describes the impact of this knowledge had on his life, and it impacted everything else. He says this, I felt like a kid in a candy store. How did I not see these truths before? The gospel is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life, and it's true. He goes on to describe how this exploring of the gospel and realizing what it truly was transformed his ministry, transformed his outlook, transformed his obedience. If only we direct our focus from wishing we could know God's sovereign will to fully knowing the dimensions of the gospel truth, Having such a focus will produce a life that walks in a way that is consistent with the gospel that we have received. Our actions, our lives, reflect what we meditate on. And that's why Romans 12 begins with what, that we should be transformed by the spirit of our mind. This is Paul's singular prayer for the Colossians. Don't just know about the gospel. Be filled with this knowledge, and you'll find that it transforms everything else. As we continue in our passage, we see where a worthy walk comes from. We've seen where a worthy walk comes from, and now he describes what a worthy walk looks like. And he gives participles modifying a life that pleases God. We see verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. Again in verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. These are all describing what a worthy walk looks like. And most importantly, we see that God's grace empowers it all. And so secondly, the sufficiency of God's grace empowers a worthy walk. Again, this is a stark difference between the self-made religion we see in Colossians chapter 2 and grace-fueled faith that we see described here. The Holy Spirit who helps us understand the gospel also produces fruit in our lives. My prayer for myself and for you in this new year is that we walk worthy in a way that is empowered by the grace of God. How do we see it described in our passage this morning? Three ways I see it described in our passage this morning. Number one, grace empowers inevitable growth. We see two facets of the spiritual growth. Number one, bearing fruit in every good work. And number two, increasing in the knowledge of God. That rejoicing in the gospel produces gospel-motivated actions. Your thoughts dictate your decisions. And as you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, you produce good works that are consistent with gospel thinking. Think about it. Why do we make sinful, selfish decisions in our lives? It's because our decisions are not being informed by the truth of the gospel. Rejoicing in the gospel produces a greater desire to know God more and more. And you never stop increasing in the knowledge of God, as it says in our passage. And if knowledge of God produces both the fruit of good works and increasing in the knowledge of God, 
then you get to see a deepening cycle of sanctification. You know, your knowledge of his will motivates you to know him more. And the more you know about him, the more your actions are shaped by him. This is the mission of the Christian life. What are your actions and decisions shaped by? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever back-translated your own works to see where their source comes from? Because every work has a source. Every action has a starting point. We see a negative example of this in James chapter 4, verse 1, where he asks the question, where, where causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The outward quarrels flow from an inward sinful passion. Every action, if you were to back-translate it, stems from a desire or a belief. What would our works look like if they flowed from a knowledge of the gospel? You'd be fruitful in every good work. You would increase in the knowledge of God. That's what it looks like to walk worthy. It looks like inevitable growth. Are there bumps in the road? Are there ups? Are there downs? Yes, there are. But gospel progressively and inevitably transforms and changes you. Secondly, we see in our passage in verse 11 that grace empowers joyful endurance. In verse 11, we see this other evidence of grace-empowered living. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And look at that last phrase. For all endurance and patience with joyfulness. Wouldn't it be wonderful to navigate life this way? Endurance and patience, but not just endurance and patience, but endurance and patience with joy. How are you facing trials and temptations in your life? Are you enduring it? Are you enduring it joyfully? You may ask, how can we approach life with such a mindset? And the straightforward answer is only grace that can empower such a life. And look again in verse 11. What is fueling this mindset? Where is the strength coming from? It's strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the purpose of all endurance and patience with joy. Do you see the sufficiency of grace? That if you have the gospel, you have access to the greatest power you can possibly imagine. You ask, well, how great is this power? Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, where, we, we, where Paul prays that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. What power is at work in those who have the gospel and are being filled with the gospel? It's resurrection power. The same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, that is the working of his great might, which is at work in you. And as you meditate on the gospel, you are strengthened by the gospel itself. So we consider maybe just some of the trials that we may face in our lives and how the strength of God empowers us. Perhaps you're rejected by a family friend or a family member. 
gospel power can give you joyful endurance through that as you remember Jesus, who was also rejected by friends and family, left alone and died for you so you could be a part of his family, never to be rejected or forsaken. Do you see how gospel truth can directly inform your trials, your temptations? You have a physical ailment that has been plaguing and discouraging you. And gospel power can give you joyful endurance as you remember Jesus who experienced weakness and hunger so that he could be your brother through his trial. And he offers a hope beyond this physical life that can give you joy even when your own body is experiencing weakness. And you can say with Paul, Christ's strength is made perfect in my weakness. You're struggling with a habitual sin that has been clinging to you for years. Gospel power gives you joyful endurance as you remember the grace of Jesus that is greater than your sin, that your sins have been nailed to the cross and you bear it no more, and you're no longer a slave to sin. Did you come in this morning close to giving up, running out of endurance? Or perhaps you're just gritting your teeth through your trial, but you're not finding any joy in that trial. What must we do? We must seek to be filled with the knowledge of his will, to be filled with the knowledge of gospel truth. And when you do, you will experience gospel joy that produces endurance and patience. This is the fruit of a worthy walk. And thirdly, grace empowers genuine thankfulness. Look in verse 12. This, truth, this truly is an inevitable result of being filled with the knowledge of the gospel. And we see it play out in the verse itself. That as we consider what God has done for us, it produces a genuine thankfulness. That someone who is walking worthy is someone who is living with a thankful heart. Do you have a hard time finding things to be thankful about right now? Are you dwelling on the disappointments of your life more than anything else? Can I give you some things from this passage that you can be thankful for today? Look at me at verse 13. Or actually, verse 12. He has qualified us. He made us meet. He's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Did you qualify yourself? You didn't. God qualified you by the gospel. And if you sit here feeling completely disqualified to receive God's grace, the gospel tells you that through his death and resurrection, he qualifies you to share in a heavenly inheritance with the saints. That's something to give thanks to God for. Verse 13. God has delivered you from the domain of darkness. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. Read in verse 13, we were lost in sin with, without hope and without God in this world. We were unable to deliver ourselves, but God delivered us out of darkness. Verse 13 continues, God's not done. He just transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. You've gone from dwelling in darkness to being a citizen in the kingdom of God. He's relocated you. He's transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All your sins, past, present, future, forgiven 
because of the redemption that we find in Christ Jesus. And what a glorious truth it is that all of these are in the past tense. You have been qualified. You have been delivered. You have been transferred. You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven. Has that sunk in? I fear that we have grown so used to gospel truths that they've become boring. They barely seem real enough to evoke the slightest emotional response from us. We know these glorious truths. We have these glorious truths, these miraculous gospel realities. And we say, yeah, but what really gets me excited is this over here. Or, yeah, the gospel's great and all. Why is God letting me go through this difficulty? Those who drink deeply of the gospel are the most thankful people on the planet. This does not mean that we have no sorrow, that we have no tears. Paul himself describes himself as someone who's sorrowful yet always rejoicing. That we groan inwardly while we wait eagerly for the redemption as sons. That the worthy walk is not just someone who's untouched by trial, unfazed by trial, always happy, but it's someone who, as they fight to, 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 to meditate and grow in their knowledge of the gospel, it produces, number one, inevitable growth. It produces a joyful endurance, and it produces a genuine thankfulness. And as you consider these three characteristics, how refreshing and satisfying it is to see that it's one of divine enablement, not human exertion. It's one of genuine growth, not perfection or appearance. It's about a response of genuine thankfulness to what Christ has done, not a tiresome performance to prove to Christ what you've done for him. This is a fruitful walk. This is a worthy walk. This is a life that pleases God. And what does it all begin with? It begins with being filled with the knowledge of the gospel. Would you go back to that this new year? Would you rejoice in it and think about it and meditate on it and be thankful for it and consider how the gospel transforms your life, how you view trial, how you view successes, how you view those around you? In this next year, do you want to walk in a worthy manner? Do you want to live a life that pleases the Lord? Then be filled with the knowledge of his will, and as you do, your heart and your mind will be transformed to produce genuine fruit, joyful endurance, and heartfelt thankfulness. And God is pleased with a life like that. We pray together. Lord, I pray that you would guide us into all truth. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. That the, the ability, what we need to walk worthy has already been given to us in the gospel. Lord, I pray that we be filled with the knowledge of that gospel so that we might be transformed by the renewing of our mind and live a life that is consistent with the gospel truths that we claim to believe. Lord, I pray that those who are coming in today discouraged, worn down, defeated, that they would be reminded of the glorious truths that we have in Christ and that it would produce the thankfulness that only you can provide.